Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Um, Sydney, we didn't talk about what our introduction to this week's episode would be, so why don't you walk me in uh, naturally? Oh, naturally. Just a natural explanation of exactly why you chose this topic. Uh, okay, I think that's fair because we have not done, is this our first episode we've recorded in the new year it's our first episode no um, i'm replacing our, bloodletting our our last episode that we put out we actually recorded right before the the old year yes as you Ugh. call it old year ended stinky year new year began wired and then, 2021 tired 2020 right did you just make that up yeah i just came up with it mm -hmm. that's clever it rhymes we did not put out an episode last week i am sorry I wanted to say that first. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, sorry. Sydney was on hospital service, and um, you're never going to believe this, but it is buck wild in the hospital. Yes. Uh, I was just, it, I'm always busier when I'm on inpatient medicine service, but this was especially busy. And I think probably this is true for a lot of you. A lot of your extra energy was being taken up by um, concern for the insurrection. So, yeah, the light, the light. <laughs> A light sprinkling of absolute treason and chaos, and yes, and uh, uh, it, it just it just uh, was dusted lovingly over the entire and, week. And you know, like I really thought we're gonna start the new year out with some good old fashioned sawbones. That was really what I was kind of planning on, and then last week everything sort of fell apart. So we're back this week. I'm gonna try it again with an, a good old fashioned sawbones. Um, I am not going to make any promises in terms of uh, we'll always stick to this sort of stuff or that we won't have more to say about coronavirus or uh, politically relevant, current event relevant topics. Uh, certainly, I, am, I believe we will cover those again. But for now, here is just something that is an outdated term we don't really use anymore. With a lot of wacky, wild treatments still, through the years. Are we still allowed to say it? Because there's a lot of outdated terms we don't use <laughs> anymore that would not be a welcome on our uh, podcast. We are allowed to say it. It just doesn't really mean anything anymore. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about dropsy. Now That feels bad to say it. It feels, it feels problematic, Sid. No, it's not. I mean, it just doesn't. It, it, medically speaking, if someone said they had dropsy, it wouldn't be very. There she goes again. Helpful. It just feels like we're going to get canceled. 
Maybe I'm confusing it with Cropsy. <laughs> Cropsy. Are, are you going to quickly Google Dropsy to make sure I didn't? No, I couldn't remember okay. the name of Cropsy. Remember Cropsy? No, I don't. It was that documentary you watched about that uh, urban legend in New York? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's old one. Anyway. No, I am talking about Dropsy, and I am not talking about Dropsy in fish. When I first started looking up the history of Dropsy, I kept coming across fish articles. And right now I know there are like experts out there on fish who are like laughing at me for not knowing this. Uh, I didn't know that this was this term is still used for a condition in aquarium fish where they fill up with fluid and I believe unfortunately pass away mm. and their bellies like drop like they they float and their bellies are drop because they're filled with fluid dropsy. Oh, okay. yes. That name's a little on the nose. It is. It is it on the is nose. Dropsy. Uh, yes. And so I am not talking about that condition in aquarium fish. I know nothing about aquarium fish other than now. I know that Sydney they get dropsy. knows nothing about any animal that is not human. She has made this extremely clear in our podcast. Look it up. Well, I mean, I know a little about cats just because we've had them, but just like the right amount for a cat owner, not a cat expert. A normal <laughs> amount, not weird amount. No, well, no, just like not expert level. Owning info. animals, I can't. Is... I can't like treat your cat, but I can tell you about owning a cat because I have owned a cat. Every every uh, pet ownership basically just boils down to don't give them chocolate. I think that's just every no. animal. Just don't give them chocolate, and you'll be fine. I know a little more than that. Dropsy, the the term when we're using it for humans, um, and we've talked, we've like used this term a lot on the show, but we've never really taken a deep dive into what it means and where it came from. Dropsy. Yeah, I've said it before. Mm -hmm. It sounds familiar. Yeah, and because it was a very common diagnosis throughout medical history to just label like, well, what happened to that person? Now they died of dropsy. Ah, that's too bad. Uh, The dropsy. The dropsy. Um, And so. It's important to know, first of all, that the term dropsy, as it's been used through history, was really like a catch-all. It was anything that could cause swelling, edema, fluid collection. You know, if you found that symptom, that sign, I should say, uh, a symptom is something you tell me about, a sign is something I see. You tell me, like, my stomach hurts. I couldn't see that on you. Mm. You would have to tell me. What so if I was holding it and going, oh. Well, I would still say, like, does your stomach hurt? I'd be like, no, this is a dance. (laughs) If your stomach was really swollen because it was filled with fluid, I could see that. I could examine you and find that, and that would be a sign. So anyway, um, although I guess you could also tell me that, but the point, exactly. So (laughs) the point being, any time someone had swelling or edema, whether it was of their abdomen, their legs, their whole body, whatever was swollen, you could call it dropsy. And now- over time, that would become less general and more specific until eventually it was no longer useful mm-hmm. because we had names for everything. Um, and there are a bunch of different reasons that you can have swelling. Sure. There's, yeah. no, there's no one reason that you have swelling. So you can see why the term would eventually become sort of useless because— you just say swelling, right? I mean, yeah, or or I would tell you why. It's because of your heart. It's because right. of your liver. It's because of your kidneys. And then I would, you know, use a medical term other than it's because of. We don't usually say that. Because of swelling. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, I usually do end up saying that it's because of your kidneys, but then I also elucidate the medical terminology. Uh, and a bunch of the treatments that we would have used for dropsy, we don't really, as you may imagine, use today. No. The word dropsy comes from the Middle English, 
which comes from the old French hydropsy, which comes from the Greek hydrops, which comes from the Greek hydro. Do you see where this is headed? Hydrox. Water. Got not it. the cookie. Not the cookie. Hydrox. No, not the Oreo-like cookie. Or are... Oreos are hydrox-like. Are they hydrox-like? Which came first? The hydrox. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. You don't want to know how much I, I know about this topic. I really don't. Okay. Or you can start a podcast about that if you'd like. Mm, no, thank you. I already... No, I'm good. Okay. Well, I don't want to be on it. I wasn't No, asking. I didn't think you... <laughs> I didn't think you were. My dear friend Bridget Lancaster and America's ah, Fast Kitchen did an episode of their podcast, gotcha. Proof, which is great if you love food. It's, it's a great show. Uh, it's all about hydrox versus uh, Oreo. Well, I hydrox think came first. I think a lot of us know hydro is related to water, and you get a hydro, hydrops, hydropsy, dropsy, dropsy. There you go. Related to fluid, and when you talk about mentions of fluid retention, uh, again, as you may imagine, as long as we have had people trying to write about medicine, you've had mentions of fluid accumulation because there are so many different reasons why you might accumulate extra fluid in different parts of your body that it's natural to assume ancient people got it too. So you can find mentions of this in the Ebers papyrus. Uh, the thought process was that maybe the heart becomes sort of weak or bored is one translation of it. The heart <laughs> it. becomes bored. I get it. Love, dub, love, dub, day in, day out. Let's mix it up. Maybe a crunk. <laughs> love, dub, love, dub, crunk. And it becomes overfull with blood, which is not exactly what, what I mean, we're happened, talking about. It happened to the Grinch, you know? Why couldn't it happen to a well, human? I don't, think, I don't think that the Grinch is thought to have developed congestive heart failure. Although, oh, if that's his, a whole other his episode. His heart grew three sizes. He doesn't have the blood to support it. I'm saying he would become instantly anemic mm-hmm. and black out. Like right there, he's holding the sled. And he's like, no, blackout, What I'm saying done. is, he does he have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? This is a whole other episode. See, I we'll do this another day. I didn't know you were. Um, another day. What? This Christmas. Mm-hmm. Look forward to how the Grinch <laughs> stole his last breath. How the, how the Grinch stole Christmas and then developed hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and then saved Christmas. What is it Cooper called? Grinch hates Christmas. Grinch hates Christmas. That's what, she yes. got really into the Grinch. Anyway. Anyway, so they thought maybe that was what was happening and your heart got filled up with blood. The heart was really seen for a lot of medical history as sort of just like a storage vessel. Mm. Blood just sort of gets kept there periodically and not for like its pumping ability. It took us a while to figure that part out. What did they think was happening in there? They could feel it. No, I mean, you really think about this though. and Because on this show, we have a, I would say this is a, a fault of ours of accusing ancient people of not being smart enough to figure this stuff out. But how easy is it to open a person's body up and look at what's happening inside while keeping that person alive? Well, and to be fair, I guess, now that I think about it, you can also feel the pulse in the neck and the wrist, et cetera. So you wouldn't necessarily think just because you felt mm-hmm. the pulse in there that that was the source of it. Yeah, I think that the fact that they got this far is pretty impressive. I'm going to say that a lot this episode. I think a lot of the the conclusions that were drawn were fairly impressive. We just didn't have a great understanding of treatments most of the time. So even when a like really clever connection was made, it takes a while for us to get to a therapeutic option that makes a lot of sense. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Do you as a physician ever start thinking about these in, these like absolutely wild delicate machines? 
that are keeping everything going in there just below the surface and get freaked out about it. Do you ever, mm-hmm. does this ever happen to you? Yeah, constantly. Really? I, I don't know if it's true for all physicians, but yes. Okay. I thought you'd have some sort of sage wisdom about how to, how you move past that. No, I mean, just don't, I think, don't think about it. If I think too hard about it, it kind of trips me out a little bit. Don't think about it. Be, be grateful for it. And then, I don't know, start planning what you're going to have for dinner or something to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good play. Uh, they also thought that fluid might Sydney have. Is not, Sydney is not a therapist. <laughs> we, should, we should point that out. She is not licensed. Unlicensed. <laughs> that's, very, that's a very fair point. Uh, fluid, they also thought, might have something to do with the kidneys. Again, this was sort of just like theoretical, and it would take us a long time to really assert that. So it's impressive. I got to give it up to them that they would bring the kidneys into it because, like, I I still mix them up with the liver. I, the fact that they could keep tabs on the kidneys is pretty impressive. I mean, I guess both can cause fluid retention. But they did think it was it could be part of the problem, but their treatment, I thought this was a very – Interesting treatment. They would take old papyri, like especially old medical papyris, and burn them in oil and then apply the residue topically Hmm. to whatever was swollen, to the legs or the belly or whatever, which is like a really specific and kind of wild treatment. Yeah, Um, not helpful, I guess. No, I I can't see how that would have been helpful. Still very specific. Probably not very harmful. Hey, got, got that. So Hippocrates mentioned three different kinds of swelling that can occur. Hippocrates did a lot of work in describing things. The treatments didn't always pan out, but lots of effort in like writing the stuff down that that he saw in, in observation. So there was hydrops, which was swelling of the abdomen due to fluid. So if you knew there was fluid in there and the belly was swollen, you got hydrops. Anasarca is the word for swelling of the body tissues. Still use that now. If somebody's swollen all over head to toe. They've got anasarca. And uh, then there was one called tempanitis, which you you really don't hear use. Occasionally you'll hear somebody like really old school use this word. We really don't use it anymore. But it means gas in the belly. Mm. We're really just talking about having gas. Got it. Think about tympany, like the sound a drum mm. might make, like the mm-hmm. high pitched. It's It's the same kind of thing when you see me tapping. The girls love for me to percuss their bellies. Um, which is when I tap, I hold my finger over their abdomen and then tap my finger and listen to the sound. And you're listening for like dullness where there's fluid versus like a tympanic sound where there's air. Every parent has a different ways of bonding with their kids. This is Sydney's. This is what I, they love it. And then I tell them it's okay that you just got farts in there. <laughs> they love that. Uh, wait, can you not tell if there's farts in there? I mean, I can tell if there's air, but I know there's also places where I'm supposed to hear air. Oh. So it's okay. I, I thought, like it's normal. I thought you were looking for. Okay. You really thought I was looking for farts? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> Move on, please. Don't, don't ever tell just, them the truth. I won't. I will. I mean, you, don't ever tell me the truth. Uh, generally, Hippocrates understood edema as a symptom. Mm-hmm. A lot of Hippocratic medicine is sort of unique to the patient, right? It's not mm-hmm. like this condition could occur in multiple people. It's like, oh, for you, it's because you don't eat this or you don't sleep right or you right. need to drink more of this or whatever it is. And that was a lot of Hippocratic medicine. Uh, so there wasn't an idea that you could find one root etiology for them all. In one patient, it might be an overabundance of phlegm. We're dealing with four humors. Mm-hmm. 
kind of medicine. And so you got too much phlegm in your belly. There was also thought that maybe one of your organs liquefied, specifically your spleen, that sometimes your spleen could just liquefy spontaneously. And then your belly would be filled with liquefied spleen. Um, or perhaps your liver was just making a lot of fluid for some reason because livers were weird and they did lots of stuff we didn't understand. Dysentery was thought to sometimes cause fluid, like you're having a lot of diarrhea and fluids coming out. And maybe some of that fluid is backing up and accumulating in your belly for some reason. There were some associations that Hippocrates would make to like sort of dictate prognosis. Like, well, you've got high drops of your legs and you have a cough. That's bad. Which may have been true because you maybe had congestive heart failure and now you were developing fluid in your lungs. So mm-hmm. that's probably a good guess. If you had a swollen belly and you stopped peeing, then the thought was, ooh, that's bad. And that was, again, probably true because it probably meant kidney failure. Mm. So there were some things that, that you that's know. About as far as, that's about as far as it went. They're like, oh, that's bad. Mm. Well, our tools. Here's some goat hair. <laughs> our tools to treat it we're not, we didn't have a lot, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Most of the things that at that point in history you would have recommended for people to do are just take this medicine that might make you puke or poop or pee. A medicine that would make you pee might actually be helpful, a diuretic, mm. but a lot of the times, especially if we thought your spleen had liquefied, you would get a laxative with a thought being that if we give you enough laxative, then you'll just poop out all that. Spleen. Um, there was also a mixture of uh, veratrum and vinegar that was used for puking. This plant, by the way, is called false hellbore. This is a very poisonous plant, which will cause nausea and vomiting. So it would have been useful for nausea, but it also might cause heart failure. So mm. I know I looked that up. I thought that was a weird choice. He also mentioned that you could make a hole near the belly button and just drain the fluid out. There's hardly a hole there. Well, no. The not belly really. button didn't count. There's not an actual hole. It's tied up. Yeah. But the idea is you could drain the fluid out. And this isn't wrong. We do this today. We drain fluid from your abdomen sometimes for various reasons. So, again, a lot more high risk, I would say, back then. Mm -hmm. Galen, as with most things, sort of built on Hippocrates stuff. He really didn't contradict a lot. He just kind of took his ideas and went a little further. He did notice that if you had an irregular pulse... Like your heartbeat didn't seem to be regular, but was kind of all over the place, which probably meant you had an irregular heartbeat, maybe atrial fibrillation, which can be associated with heart failure. Um, That plus swelling tended to be bad. He actually got it backwards. He actually thought that because you had so much fluid, your heart couldn't beat right. And that's why it was beating so strangely as opposed to the other way around. Um, Which is meaning? When your heart's not pumping rhythmically effectively then you can get fluid back up and oh i see what you're saying so like in in he uh, had the uh cause arrhythmias yeah effect the chicken and the egg were backwards right um he also advocated things like laxatives things to make you puke things make you pee bloodletting which i mean probably helped a little in some case i mean that's not a treatment we use today but i can see where removing a little bit of the blood volume may have been can't believe it a full-throated endorsement of no, bloodletting here i'm not Solomon. saying that but i could see where you would do that and see maybe a slight improvement temporarily and think you had done something good um and then some pastes made of like lard and corn flour and manna and things like that and, they, and a lot of these ideas were still based on like the humors this was all humoral theory of medicine based on the idea that like your fluids just kind of wandered around your body aimlessly and accumulated different places and you needed to just sort of empty some out and add more to them and balance them out. And they were the problem. They weren't the result of a problem. They were the problem. And Hmm. I think that's really one of the core 
differences in how we see edema now versus then is the idea that the fluid itself is the issue as opposed to it is the symptom, it is the sign of an underlying issue. It wouldn't be a new year of sawbones without getting Pliny up in the mix. Oh, yeah. And I want to tell you what Pliny the Elder had to say about it. Perfect. I'm ready. But before we get to that. Oh, no. I know. Let's head to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. 
Yeah, man, sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Road, and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talk about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Okay, you gave me the classic Plenty Tease, uh, and I'm ready for Plenty of Plenty. So Plenty the Elder, of course, had some ideas of how to treat dropsy. And, and if this is your first Sawbones that you've listened to. Welcome. Um, thank you. Plenty the Elder wrote profusely <laughs> about everything. Yeah. Um, Whether he understood it or not. All of the natural world and had treatments for everything. Some of his ideas were... Uh, Usually something to do with animal excrement. That was that was very common among Pliny's ideas. Classic. Um, he advised drinking boar's urine, or you could take cow dung or bull dung. He said any herd animal really will work. Um, burn it, and then take the ashes of that, put that in some honeyed wine, and drink that. Mm. And that would be useful for dropsy. Oh, and it's important if you're going to do this, whatever herd animal you choose, make sure you use a boy animal for a boy and a girl animal for a girl. Oh, because otherwise, Green. yes, you're wasting your time. Exactly. That was very important. Um, you could also apply the dung right to the parts of you that were swollen. So just rub some poop on your legs or belly or whatever. Right there. Your face, if everything's swollen, just rub it on there. Um, and if all of that excrement stuff is too gross for you, there's always goat's blood. Sure, yeah. Of is that less gross? I have no... I don't have a good metric on that, honestly. Really? Yeah, I don't have I've a good I've taken on that. that from you. Yeah, I, I don't actually know what's gross vis-a-vis uh, -vis blood and poop anymore. <laughs> Uh, as I mentioned, there was this kind of theoretical tie to the kidneys for a long time. Avicenna was the first one to write that there was a connection for sure between the kidney because and the kidneys and swelling because until then, everything was sort of blamed on the liver and the spleen. Again, the liver got a lot of blame for different things, um, some of which were true because, you know, you can have liver conditions that cause swelling, but then others just because the liver was a mystery. Um but the treatments were very similar. A lot of herbal preparations, everything from caraway to wormwood to radish, just all kinds of different kind of herbal things. It really was in the 17th century that we started to evolve an idea of the causes of dropsy as opposed to dropsy as a distinct problem in and of itself. Right, right, right. Right. And the reason we figured that out was that we started to figure out the circulatory system. The idea that our fluids move through a system of tubes and not just sort of like gooshed around in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that really, I that know. was a revelation. And as I said, you can see why that would be hard to figure out if you weren't, you know, we take for granted now that we know this stuff. How hard would it be to just look inside a cadaver and know what everything was doing when that body was alive? Guys, this is all tubes. Yeah, it's just a bunch of, well, I mean, there were tubes, but like there was also just a bunch of gushy fluid. I won't get into that. Things change. Let's just put it that way. I can't believe you just self-censored. It's a first. It's a Solomon's <laughs> first. Everybody, bring your kids. You can't get a complete understanding of the human body from dissection. Right. You can get an understanding of what it looks like, but not what all, all of it does, maybe. And so it took us a while to figure that out. So once we started to get the idea that fluids move in a certain fashion through certain, you know, systems, then we started to understand that this accumulation of fluids was not the problem. It was where was 
something going wrong that resulted in an accumulation of fluids that was the problem. In the 18th century, one thing that really helped, and we've done a whole episode on this, so I don't want to belabor it too long, but we, we've talked about the drug digitalis, digoxin, foxglove. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we've talked, we've done an episode about that before. Um, the reason that we kind of figured out more about what could cause dropsy is because William Withering began to use foxglove and then he isolated the active ingredient from it, digitalis, on patients with dropsy and found success. And this is because of the effect that this has on the pumping ability of the heart. It strengthens the pumping ability Hmm. and can combat congestive heart failure. So he started to understand based on the fact that my patient had dropsy, I gave them this heart medicine, they got better, the heart has something to do with dropsy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And around the same time, we began to understand that uh, some people who died of dropsy on autopsy, we would find like irregular heart valves. We At that point, we knew what a normal heart looked like. So we would start to see that the valves of the heart looked very different in these patients, Hmm. which again led you to believe that maybe this has something to do with the accumulation of fluid, which had something to do with why the patient passed away. So we kind of figured it out backwards, right? The development of the stethoscope was a big part of this because then we learned how to hear the gushing. Uh, the gushing. Well, I mean, crackles of fluid or rails of fluid, all the different sounds we can hear in the lungs because of fluid, irregular heartbeats, the different ways that the heart beats that could lead to fluid. We could hear all that with the stethoscope. We also, in that time period, developed percussion, which I've already talked about some, but that's. I mean, it's tapping on your body. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever had a doctor tap on your lungs or tap on your belly, that's what we're doing. We're listening for gas versus fluid um, in a very sort of rudimentary way, but it was actually a really useful physical exam technique that was developed to check for, like, fluid before it got obvious. Hmm. So we could hear that there was fluid there before it got to a point that you came in and said something is wrong. <laughs> Dr. John Blackle would begin to really understand kidney disease as a cause of dropsy. And that would help, in, you know, at this point to start to divide out those patients from the heart patients. You know, that was sort of the first thing. There were heart patients, there were kidney patients, eventually liver patients. We would start to sort of sort out dropsy into mm-hmm. these categories. And he described like, not only do you get the edema, the swelling, but you also notice that they don't produce much urine just as Hippocrates did, Mm -hmm. Um, but also that they could have um, seizures with this. There was a specific odor to their breath, which can can happen in kidney failure. Yeah, Um, habits in ketosis too. Yeah, and uh, he tried everything for it. He didn't have a treatment yet, but he tried opium, turpentine, copper, tobacco. There's a plant called squills, which has been used Mm -hmm. for, I mean, since ancient times. Squills? Squills. Potassium, foxglove scarification, like cutting at the area of the kidneys, all different kinds of things. Um, Dr. Richard Bright would then build on this work, and he's really credited with, like, our understanding kidney disease as a cause of dropsy. Mm -hmm. Um, His work really built on that. But initially, even as we began to understand this moving into the mid-1800s, we still didn't have a lot of great treatments. We've talked about on the show that the idea of a natural diuretic, we, we've understood that for quite some time. We yeah. knew that there were some things that made us pee, but we didn't have what we would think of today as uh, a lot of patients call fluid pills. I've never heard of that. Really? Mm-hmm. That's what I have found in, in my experience. Most patients just call them my fluid pill, and it means the pill that's supposed to remove their fluid. Like a diuretic? Yeah. We didn't have a ton of those that were, you know, 
synthesized compounds from some sort of herbal preparation or something. We didn't have that. Uh, and so one of the treatments that was used in the mid-1800s was developed and then all the way up until the 1960s, and that's going to sound wild when you hear what this is, were these tubes that were called Southeast tubes because they were developed by Reginald Southey, Dr. Reginald Southey. Basically, they were these thin silver tubes. Uh-huh. That you would insert into legs. Oh. Yeah. To try to drain the fluid. Oh, that's rough. Yes. And you know what's... Oh. Here, and again, we talk about this a ton on, on Sawbones. And if you are someone who's experienced, either yourself or as a medical professional, experienced swelling in the legs, you're probably thinking, that wouldn't work very well. And... And it wouldn't. And it didn't work. Maybe you would have gotten... Some, I'm sure something came out. Something's going to come out. Yes, but... Nobody gets away scot-free jamming tubes in their body. I always... Because I, I will say that this is a question I, I have heard from um, patients many times in my career, which is, if I've got swelling somewhere, why can't you just stick a needle in and pull it all off? It feels like that should work. Like, right? physically, it feels like, oh, that's what I really need to do here is just lance this and... And we do that sometimes when there's swelling in the abdominal cavity, in the lungs. We do procedures that do pull off fluid. So sometimes we do. But the problem is we're talking about the difference between fluid accumulating in a body cavity, mm -hmm. in an opening, and fluid sort of soaking through tissues like a sponge. It's like the idea of can you use a syringe to pull liquid out of, I don't know, a fishbowl versus a paper towels. Yes, yes, that's a good way to think about it. Exactly, exactly. I usually say think about like a big piece of sponge. If you have a big giant piece of sponge and you stick a tiny little needle into one end of it, can you suck all the fluid out of that sponge? No. But if you did have a fishbowl, exactly. And that and that's very similar. So I, it's weird. The Southie tubes really lasted a long time for something that I can't imagine was extremely effective. Yeah. Um, there were also mercury compounds. We've talked about calomel. We've talked about mercury a lot on the show. It was a really good laxative, and it did work as a diuretic. This is not me, by the way, plugging mercury. Please don't <laughs> use mercury. We not have, a fan over here. We have uh, laxatives and diuretics today that are not toxic as well, so use those. But before we knew that, it was used as a diuretic and a laxative. It was a better laxative, but you could still use it as a diuretic. And again, foxglove was still used. Squills were still used. It was really in the 1940s when Henry Schroeder started to talk about, you know, salt has something to do oh, yeah. with fluid retention. You know, where mm -hmm. there is salt, there is fluid. So a low salt diet will help you keep fluid off. Mm -hmm. um, also had an effect on blood pressure. This is also around the same time we figured that stuff out. Uh, and then soon after that, we sort of accidentally discovered that the new sulfonilamide, the new antibiotic compounds that were mm -hmm. sulfa drugs that were coming out had some diuretic effect that would make you pee. Oh, the huh. ones of the time. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying the ones now do, but the original. And so based on the way they worked, we developed a drug called acetazolamide or Diamox, you may have heard of. It's not a very popular diuretic now, but that was the first one that came out um, in the 50s that hmm. could intentionally take this and it'll make Swelling. you pee. Yeah, yeah kind of drug. Um, what would follow that are uh, advances in these specific sorts of treatments. In the 50s, we got thiazide, diuretics, chlorthalidone, hydrochlorothiazide, still in use today, mm -hmm. um, blood pressure and diuretic effect. And then after that, in 1964, we got furosemide, also known as Lasix, 
which is sort of the prototypical, it's called a loop diuretic, it's a fluid pill. A lot of people take it to yeah. keep fluid off for a variety of reasons. Mm. And again, I know this seems like we've circled back around. So we fi- we, we called dropsy one thing because we didn't know the difference. We spent centuries parsing out heart patients from liver patients from kidney patients for all the different reasons that you could get dropsy and then we come back around to just giving everybody a diuretic it's right there in front of us <laughs> which is not entirely true um after that we would f- develop more diuretics we would figure things out like for kidney patients dialysis um which can help keep fluid off and then maybe a kidney transplant depending on the kidney disease um in the cardiac field we started to develop an understanding of why do patients get heart failure is it because of maybe an irregular heartbeat like we alluded to or is it because of ischemic heart disease meaning um coronary artery disease, Mm. blockages and and heart attacks and that kind of thing. And how can we modify all those risk factors so that we prevent it instead of just waiting for it to happen and then trying to get the fluid back off. And we got better drugs for treating the heart after that developed. Um, And then we teased out liver disease, cirrhosis and all the causes of cirrhosis and how to treat that and how to um, manage the fluid accumulation that can come with that. Um, And other things like thyroid disease. And then now I think we know when it's just gas. We got it. The term dropsy, because of that, is not really used uh, for humans, as I said, anymore. There's so many different reasons that fluid could accumulate that when we see swelling, our question is why, not necessarily immediately what to do about it, Mm. Um, within reason. If you have a lot of fluid in your chest and you can't breathe, of course, we're going to want to do something about it first. So you want to treat the cause, but not the symptom. Have you been waiting the whole show for that? Yeah, actually, I have, looking for the exact moment to do it. Um, I I will say a small disclaimer. Swelling, uh, I know I've named a lot of scary things that can cause swelling. You should start with a disclaimer. I got silver needles all (laughs) through my legs. Please don't try to drain your own fluids. Here's the thing that sucks, Sid. I didn't even realize it's not swollen. It's just beautiful muscle. Are you kidding me with these things? Look at these gams. Uh, There are times in pregnancy you can get swelling. Sometimes it's just caused by circulation issues like what we call venous stasis, meaning it just it's taking a while for the blood to make its journey back to the heart um, after it's made it out to the extremities. There are lots of different reasons you could have swelling. They're certainly not all life threatening as I've mentioned a lot of scary stuff. So I want to throw that out there. But it is it is, again, because dropsy is not one thing. There are myriad causes. If you have swelling, it's worth a trip to your doctor to uh, ask them what your dropsy could mean. And call and, it dropsy because your doctor will probably flip your lips. Uh, I think what? I, I think they'll get a kick out of it. I would say today most people associate dropsy with heart failure. Mm-hmm. That's where you get most. But, but it's important to know dropsy really could have been used. It was an all-purpose word for fluid accumulation for much of history. And, and now it's just weird. And nowadays it's nothing. Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Unless we, you're a fish. We want to remind you <laughs> that uh, we have a new version of our book. It's a book about uh, medical history. It's just like Sawbones. So if you like uh, Sawbones, you'll like this. It's uh, called The Sawbones Book. It's now on paperback. We've got new content about quarantines and, and uh, anti-mask parades and uh, new illustrations by Sydney sibling Taylor Smurl. And you can get it at bit.ly forward slash book. Uh, also wanted to say, if you've ever thought about uh, g- starting up a podcast, uh, head on over to bit.ly forward slash McElroy podcast book 
and get a copy of Everybody Has a Podcast Except You. It's a pre-order. It is available in just a, about a week or so. So please go pre-order that now if you would be so kind. Thank you to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thanks to you. And keep wearing your masks. Keep yep. staying safe. Get your vaccines when you are eligible, when it's your turn. Yep. And uh, that is going to do it for us. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.